guys, welcome to Rank and File, the podcast where we attempt to rank every single horror movie ever, and this is Ryan. And this is Quincy. How's it going, Quincy? How's your week going? You know, um, I went to a Best Buy for the first time in three years, maybe? <laughs> sure, why not three years, but like, it's it's been a grip since mm-hmm. I've been to a Best Buy. Right. Uh... Things have changed in the world of physical media. <laughs> they certainly have. Uh, like, I was not prepared for how small... So, Best Buy, in my mind, is Best Buy Circle to that Best Buy Circa 2005, where I literally went every week and bought five CDs. Mm-hmm. And now, like, the CD section is, you know, one side of a shelf. And, like... The DVD section is, like, the size of, like, a very, very small... It, it's it's so small, Ryan. The, it is. The, the room for physical media in one of the largest stores <laughs> that I can name is just non-existent. It's, like, tucked into the corner. They're like, oh, we've got one Blu-ray of Lethal Weapon 4. Four, I guess, if you want yeah, that. I walked up and said, I would like to buy a copy of Die Hard, Kind Sir. And they said, we don't have it. Oh, oh no. That's Die too... Hard is like, Die Hard, pretty much any Bruce Willis movie is like cutting edge. Like no matter what the next format is, Fifth mm-hmm. Element is going to be on it. Right. So like, I, th- I feel like Die Hard should be the same. They should have it, just I, in case. Yeah. yeah, it should be fucking ubiquitous. Like, if, if anything, as long as it's just the first Die Hard, and that's it. Maybe Die Hard 2, because lol, Rennie Harlan. But I that first Die Hard, I, I feel like I'm halfway between going like, oh, everybody loves the first Die Hard, and it's like, yeah, you know why? Because it's fucking perfect. <laughs> because it's, it's a perfect movie. It's very good. <laughs> Like every element of that script works. It's lean. There's he's got this like friendship with the cop played by Reginald Vell Johnson, and it's oh oh it's so good. Um, I I shot a kid. <laughs> <laughs> he did though. He felt really bad about it. Um, I just got a thing in the mail from our buddy Evan, um, because he I think is in the process of reordering his home and kind of moving some stuff around, and he gave me like thirteen. Uh, different installments in the Berserk manga uh, <gasps> uh, series, and I just he I have that now. I'm I don't I'm I'm almost emb- uh, too embarrassed to ask. Like, wait, is this like a gift or is this you're letting me borrow it and I'll mail it back? So I'm going to mail it back even if he's being nice and giving me a gift because I'm, I'm I feel guilty. But he also sent me fucking Luther Strode, Army of Darkness versus Reanimator. And he is a mensch for a number of reasons, but also because he gave me a card with, like, an explanation. And, like, hi, Ryan, with a drawing of Chad Kensington and Jason Voorhees from the Friday the 13th game. Oh, uh, man. I, lo- I love that boy. I love that. That's, Evan, that's it, so good. He is such, such a good, good boy. He is, he is, a, he is a good egg. Um, so I am fucking stoked to, to, to bury my face in manga because, like, honestly, Quincy, the last time I read, like, the, the last time I bought and read manga was, like, when I still went to the mall occasionally, and there was a Suncoast. <laughs> and you needed to go home with fucking Samurai Not Shampoo. even Borders. Like, straight up <laughs> Suncoast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Suncoast is where you go to get that and, like, a trauma DVD collection of, like, three movies where it's, like, Space Zombie Bingo and Surf Nazis Must Die, and they're all on, like, the same disc. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I you know honestly, I've worked in a couple of malls, and part of me is uh, still fond of malls as a thing because of my 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 youth, but largely I hate the mall. Yeah, every time that I think about going to the mall, which is actually the way I feel about Best Buy, yeah. I think, how about not? <laughs> right, or like, I compromise and go to Target because yeah. I'm a man in my 30s and Target is, you know, got all of my needs. Oh, Target Target is my 30-something shit. Uh, I love I love Target. I, I don't think, um, literally, two, both of the things that I'm wearing right now, my pants and my shirt, both came from Target. Like, it's real good. Yeah. So, speaking of really good uh let's segue into talking about the crazies oh man all right all right all right all right so the so, crazies from george, 1973 heck yeah george romero's the crazies because they uh re-release it now this is a screener provided to us by arrow video it's on Thanks. blu-ray so you Thanks, know guys. it is amazing oh yeah the special features on this are bananas. Oh, I am, in, is I am intensely jealous expect. that you have the physical media with, like, the special features and everything. It has this uh, <laughs> Q&A and an interview with the um, girl who goes crazy, the titular mm-hmm. crazy. Right. And she shoots on everybody in horror cinema that you could possibly imagine she dunks on lloyd kaufman she talks about you know what her time working on um i spit on your not i spit on your grave um i drink your blood uh (laughs) she talks about i don't want to spoil it because it's it's the best part of the disc like i I don't think it's right to talk about like all of the things she says, but it's amazing. I mean, you had me at she shoots on Lloyd Kaufman. Yeah, she straight up talks shit about <laughs> Lloyd Kaufman. She talks about casting couches in 70s Hollywood. Uh-huh. She talks about uh, what it was like shooting a movie with LSD zombie cannibals she talks about what a great director nothing but kind words about george romero which is very heartening in a cold romero-less world right i george romero is like the whoopee of horror directors like everybody fucking loved george romero for sure he's so great yeah and specifically like with the crazies i okay so the crazies is coming in like what four years after night of the living dead um and it's basically a zombie movie. It's kind of a zombie movie um, in the regard that there's a virus and it's people being out of control and behaving in violent, scary, unpredictable ways. And it, there's a large narrative of us versus them and the fear of being overtaken by hordes of scary people. And honestly, like, so let's get this out of the way. I think this movie is George Romero reso- responding to Vietnam. Yes, it is 100%, because it is Vietnam veterans saying, what do we do? Yeah, like these guys who are supposed to know. It's this, these guys, yeah, and a whole big thing is Clank, the guy who was just regular army, is ridiculing the guy that was special forces and saying, you can't do shit, you're helpless. Which is really the guy saying, like, actually, I've been to war, and I want to leave that life behind me, and I don't want to fall back into my training. And, 
Like, it's... I think what's so beautiful about this movie is because it's the best... I think this might be the most underrated zombie movie, which might be really spicy, oh, for sure. but I'm going to say it. Um, but I think what's so beautiful about it is because they are crazy, you know, they're they're, to use the phrase of the title, they don't actually zombify, they just go, you know, into madness and pass the virus that way. The normal reactions to a military uh, invading your town make it so that... Mm -hmm. Even when the characters do get sick, it's unclear are they acting this way because of the events that are occurring to them, or are they acting this way because of the virus? And that makes it very clever. Right. Well, and it's, yeah, it's this amazing dynamic where, like, you have, I mean, there's a built in tension there where you have to remain calm because if you start freaking out and panicking, everybody around you is going to be like, this movie are is you also, one of them? Something about these nihilistic everyone is fucked movies just are really my jam (laughs) i you know honestly i they they didn't they didn't used to be my jam and now they are 100 percent my jam because especially with the crazies i appreciate that okay a lot of um horror directors i think feel a need to put a nice coda on the movie or at least have some kind of message that's you know kind of nice and I, i i feel like george romero he is so angry while making this movie. Like you can, there's like a palpable rage coming out of this movie. Yeah, it's it's very clearly. I think it is his Vietnam movie. It's his. Uh, this is you know never again. Let's do this bureaucracy. It's also about like how woefully incompetent the government is. Yeah, yeah. It's basically. Um, it, it kind of reminds me of the, uh, the the second Aliens movie, where it's like it's it's responding to Vietnam in, in the level that it's like, listen, all of the all of all of all of the bureaucrats and all of the soldiers with all of their special training are not prepared for this kind of shit. Like, you can't subdue this problem. You you don't know what you're facing. You don't know what you're doing. And so, amidst all of this sort of like, there's nothing that the authorities can do about all of this fucking mayhem. I don't know. I, I, it, it's such a Romero move to look at the survivors and what the survivors are doing in the midst of all of this, because it's sort of like, and it, it on paper, it shouldn't work to have people just reacting to a thing like, you know, Dawn of the Dead and Night of the Living Dead and so many of, you know, of his other movies is the survivors sort of reacting in real time to forces working against them. But it's like, I don't know, it's, it's great to see that it, it, it's 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 great to see how it always happens on a micro level with the characters instead of these big epic things yeah it's very subtle and i mean there are some things that i look at this film and say like don't don't get it twisted the incest oh. element is kind of like really i mean it's it's just very easy what's the best way to show that these this father and daughter are you know, have lost it. Oh, oh, let's do an incest scene. Yeah. It's kind of like, ah, man, really? But, um, then he makes up for it with that beautiful scene where the daughter approaches those soldiers and like, doesn't even recognize the fact that she's shot until she just says, Oh, and falls over dead. Oh fuck. And also the fact that the father hangs himself immediately afterward. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's like that. Like he can't cope with the fact that that's a thing that his brain is now like, yeah, that's okay. You should do that. 
Which also I love because there is a reading of the text that he's always wanted to do that, and maybe he's using this as cover. Ah, speaking because of Because if you notice, prior to that scene, he's petting his daughter and she slaps his hands away. Oh, shit. I didn't even notice that. So it's almost like this weird consent thing where he's he's seizing this opportunity because consent is eroded away. Right, because now he Which has a plausible way me... to like move like to make this move that he's wanted to make forever because he's like, "Buh, I'm crazy." Yeah, it's which it makes me feel gross, which I think is the point. Oh yeah. But let's just move on to the rest of it. I also love that <laughs> yeah. the uh one of the main characters again is a person of color and yes. uh they also have the I'm the commanding officer and everyone's like but you're a black man. He's like, exactly. I'm your commanding officer, <laughs> man. And Romero, I, I, it's one of the things that I love about him is that he does that shit on purpose. Like, I think that a lot of other directors wouldn't have the strength of their convictions. And if they had a black protagonist, they, you know, would, you know, especially circa early seventies might feel the need to sort of, um, play it off as like, oh no, he was just the best guy for the job, and Romero's like, yeah, it's important that my protagonist is a person of color because I, I'm exploring themes that wouldn't be possible if it were a white character. Yeah, yeah, and and also the fact that the colonel kinda is the protagonist of this movie. <laughs> Man, yeah, such, such, such as there is a protagonist in, in the crazies, and honestly, like, also the effects in the crazies, there is this... Oh, they're so good. Oh, it's so, so, so good. Like, it's not, like, Rick Baker levels, but it's this kind of mean, scrappy DIY aesthetic that completely works within this movie, where it's just, oh my god, like, it, it's, yeah. a, it's a joy to look at. There is a the shot where they're in the woods and that guy gets shot in the head mm-hmm. and the squib comes out the side facing the camera and they have a prosthetic where they've just kind of like le- given him a layover and watched the blood just kind of gush out of his head. It's oh, very yeah. well done. Oh, it's so upsetting. Oh my yeah, god. Yeah. yeah, honestly like that that would be the word I would choose to describe the crazies is just upsetting. Um it, 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 although at least in the regard that like it's upsetting but also it's doing something with that. Like it's not just uh bizarre and transgressive for the sake of being bizarre and transgressive and it's not boo mental illness which I got to tell you um a mo- you would think that a movie called The Crazies I you know if if I hadn't seen this movie before and I just seen this name pop up as a as a movie that we were watching this week I'd have been gritting my teeth going into it. Like, it's called The Crazies. Like, you, you would think that it would be this really ableist sort of, I don't know, boo mental illness thing. But yeah. it contextualizes the behavior and the psychosis as not exactly mental illness. Like, it's it's a zombie movie. And it's, it's, it's such a, like, in 2018, it's kind of eye-rolling, but it really is a... Hey, but what if the government's the one who are really crazy, man? <laughs> the crazies, yeah. Um, and also, it, it, this movie has such a... It, first of all, it's so fucking angry. Second of all, it has such a deep distrust of authority at its bones. And I think that's also a huge fucking hallmark of George Romero. Because especially by the time you get to Land of the Dead, he has full-on leaned into, into that. And he's fine with doing it. Yeah. It's... It's A+. Plus. Oh. So, oh, it's so good. It is definitely... So, I said earlier, it is one of the best 
zombie movies that we don't talk about when we talk about zombie movies. Mm -hmm. So where does that go on our list then? Well, I tell you what, uh, uh, this will, okay, this might get us hate mail, but I would feel comfortable putting this above Shaun of the Dead. Whoa. I really, really, really like this movie. (laughs) So... Why does it go above Shaun of the Dead? Because that's above um, Return of the Living Dead as well. It's also above my my favorite horror movie ever, A Nightmare on Elm Street 3. Um, But here's the thing. I think that it's better than Shaun of the Dead, but I don't think it's better than the first Nightmare on Elm Street? So, huh. Okay, okay. So, how about this? Uh Uh-huh. Dead Alive is number 30. Right. Dead Alive does get probably too much play. I see. I adore Dead Alive, but I would agree. I think every, I, we we spend a lot of time talking about how much we love that movie, and it's it's good. Like I love I love Dead Alive, but it's not. It's about something kind of with like oh no, like uh, Lionel's mother uh, strangling him with her apron strings or whatever. Like you could explore the themes of Dead Alive, but ultimately, it's not making the kind of moves that a movie like the crazies is yeah now the crazies is not even top three romero either no no romero i honestly would go uh dawn of the dead night of the living dead honestly day of the dead i think is super fucking underrated yeah and then the crazies yeah yeah exactly so 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 i would say we can Put a floor as Dead Alive, so it's better than Dead Alive. Mm-hmm. Um, and a ceiling is certainly Night of the Living Dead. And, but it, I don't know. I don't know if it's better than Nightmare on Elm Street. I Now, here I would actually say I don't think it's better than a Nightmare on Elm Street, at least because uh, if both of them are responding to cultural anxieties, I think there has never been a more perfect Jesus Christ, I live in Ronald Reagan's America than the first Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, I mean, and some of that is just time, because mm-hmm. Romero was right. in the 70s, and Reagan was in the 80s. But, right. yeah, I think they're neck and neck. Mm-hmm. Um, now, it, it's, hmm. Yeah, I'd say right under A Nightmare on Elm Street is a good place for it. I actually feel pretty good about that. Like right, So right above Dead Alive, because it's actually about something... And right below uh, A Nightmare on Elm Street, because A Nightmare on Elm Street is also doing something, but a little more than the crazies. Yeah, so, add us, haters. Yeah. Yeah, so, we'll coming in. <laughs> we, have, we, will, we will fight you over the crazies. So, coming in at our new number 30 is the crazies. Excellent. Um, so, I was now... so Yeah, I was so excited when that popped up. <laughs> like, what if we <laughs> talked about the crazies? And I, I realized that I got to rewatch the crazies again, because it's been a while. Yeah. And I love that that movie held up because I part of me was worried that like I don't know you worry that with hindsight and it's 2018 and we're all smarter and more savvy and you know you worry that some of the things we loved that you know when we saw it when we were in our early 20s you worry that it won't and then it did and it was great yeah and then you get this fine sheen on it from Arrow the transfer and the audio is really good on this and the special features are amazing (laughs) also like I'm not a big fan of audio commentary because that's even too insular for me. Mm-hmm. But the audio commentary is like this film critic talking about 
Notice how the beginning of the crazies is a brother teasing his sister by acting like a zombie, which is the exact same beginning of Night of the Living Dead. Oh, yeah, with the coming to get you, Barbara. Yeah, and he's like, and when Romero was interviewed, he said that was just his subconscious working. That was never intended to be the same. (laughs) And also, those are the children of the sound guy who also played the zombie in Night of the Living Dead in that scene and it's nice. like this this it's this like strings on bulletin board tied together commentary <laughs> that's like look at all these connections but i mean oh, if man. that's your thing by all means pick up this blu-ray and if not it looks really good and it's got amazing original art for this release and oh yeah thanks era video yep thank you guys so much also speaking of audio commentaries uh, i think one of my favorite things uh, so uh, the DVDs that I'm sending you, which is every single Friday the 13th movie, because you've never seen one. Um, the audio I've seen commenta- two okay. and a half. Wait, wait, you mean you've seen part two, or you've seen two of them? I've seen two of them, plus a half of another one. Okay, which, wh- so, which ones so have you seen? I have seen the first Friday the 13th all the way through. Nice. And maybe I've watched approximately an hour of other bits and pieces yeah i mean i have seen the scene where they find muffins the dog and then they all get murked (laughs) i've also watched parts of jason takes manhattan because i always am like oh hell yeah jason takes manhattan and then that movie is so painfully long and boring and it's on a that i walk away and do something else and come back and a guy's getting decapitated by a flying v guitar (laughs) right because it it, or a guy is boxing jason oh yeah and then jason punches his head off a building and the thing is the last 15 minutes, at least, you get him actually in New York, but because of the, the budget on Jason Takes Manhattan, they literally just had to shoot the entire, like, first two-thirds of it on a boat. <laughs> and it's it's basically Jason Takes a cruise ship, and it's disappointing. But honestly, like, the so the Friday the 13th commentaries, they find unrelated people who didn't work on the movies to do commentary. So, like, for part four, they had, like, the two dudes who did Hatchet. And that's awesome. It is awesome. But I think one of my favorite things, and I, I hope this, you know, I, I, I don't I don't mean to, to, to talk shit about, you know, people, people in the industry and writers and stuff. But uh, I think one of my favorite ridiculous things is writers sort of tonguing the butthole of a big flagship franchise because they clearly want to write for this franchise someday <laughs> by praising really dumb shit where like the shot will hold for too long. And they're like, oh, this is. This is a brilliant shot where it's just looking at nothing for 10 seconds and it adds so much tension and it's it's like god fucking this is not this is not Citizen Kane like you're the guys who did Hatchet you're watching the fourth Friday the 13th film let's scale it back a little please So the next movie we're talking about speaking of uh auteur pieces <laughs> right is Killing of a Sacred Deer I Ooh, buddy can't tell you if I love or hate this movie. Um, I okay, okay. Let's. Uh, so before before we started the episode, we were like killing of a sacred deer, right? And then mostly it was both of us going, I can't wait to find out how I feel about this movie because it is. I I feel I feel some kind of way about this. So obviously, uh, 2017 movie made by uh, Yorgos uh, Lant- Lantimos or Lanthimos. I don't know. Well, that the guy that did the lobster. 
Yeah, yeah, the guy that did the lobster. And uh, so the plot of the thing is, uh, it's I, which by the way, it's basically um, a uh, a Romani curse movie without the actual anti-Romani racism. Um, oh, this movie is yeah. it's basically thinner. Huh. Like it is. It's it's dragged me to hell. Like this movie is absolutely like, well, you done fucked up. And now your family's gonna suffer because you fucked up, and now you've gotta exact- like, I'm gonna exact some terrible, uh, price from you and your family for fucking me over. So, the thing that sticks out to me the most about this movie is Mm -hmm. the direction uh, for all these actors and their monotone speaking. Oh, yeah. Yeah, everybody is super flat. he literally said, no, you did that with feeling, do it again, but as a robot. <laughs> yeah, oh, okay, all right, so so for those of you who have not seen uh, The Killing of the Sacred Deer, the movie follows uh, a doctor and his family, and uh, the doctor meets this young man at a cafe, I think, or like a coffee shop or something, at the beginning of For most of, of the movie, you just follow this kid, and you don't know who he is. yeah. And he uh, introduces this kid to his... It's weird. Okay, so it's Colin Farrell, parentheses, everybody go watch uh, Fright Night 2011. Uh, Colin Farrell is the surgeon, and he, for some reason, befriends a young teenage boy. And at first, I gotta admit, I'm, I thought this was going to a certain place, and I'm glad it didn't, where it was like a, a, a grown-ass man who's a surgeon meeting with a teenage boy and being like, please don't do some this charming man shit. I, and they didn't. Um, it's much worse than that. The kid... <laughs> yeah. And let's not spoil it, because it is a new movie. Oh, that's true. That's true. That's true. All right. So we won't give away the whole plot. But um, I actually... All right. I won't give you anything more than what happens... Than what the back of the Blu-ray would say. Which is that uh, a mysterious curse befalls Colin Farrell's family. And uh, they can't eat. Their legs won't work. They're super fucked up. And it's all related to this kid. And... Uh, so as it progresses, basically the kid tells him that, uh, because of something that you did to me, uh, even though you may not have meant to do it, and I understand that, but this is the only kind of justice I think I can get, so you have to, you have to decide which one of your kids you're gonna kill. And then it unfolds. Um, so, well, kids or wife, basically anyone but you has to die. Yes. Uh, also, I would put this out here, okay? Nicole Kidman is an underrated horror actor. She is! She was in The Others and was really good in that. Yeah, she was in The Others. She's been in a bunch of stuff. Like, I love it when Nicole Kidman pops up. Um, she has this screen presence that I think really, really works for Killing of a Sacred Deer because she's got this, like, sort of placid... It's like... She's like Flint, right? Like she's like sharp, but also really hard and mean, like and cold. Um, and the, and I think the acting in this, everybody kind of conforms to the house style of Yorgos Lanthimos, um, because nobody nobody's getting super excited. Ex- I mean, pretty much except for Colin Farrell, who does kind of wild the fuck out in this movie. Well, to be fair, towards the end of the movie, they break from the monotone which does make it that much more significant because Mm. they all you know wig the fuck out because things are going nuts but it is so the dialogue is written so surreally and it's delivered so surreally Mm -hmm. and that kid is so amazing uh barry uh yeah Mm -hmm. he is like 
he carries the movie because oh. he is so unsettling. You're absolutely right. Like, if this, honestly, I feel like, um, I, I could think of a couple of uh, young actors who would have done pretty okay in, in the, the part of the creepy kid. But yeah, Barry Keoghan, like, he has this, I, I, I appreciate how much he no-sells everybody else being upset with him. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Like, there's one bit of the film, and I don't think this is a spoiler, um, he's getting the shit kicked out of him by Colin Farrell, who has him, like, tied up, and he's like, you know, ah, stop fucking cursing my family and making everyone not be able to eat. And the kid just is perfectly placid throughout the ass-kicking. He's fine. He is, like, just completely uh, stonewalling Colin Farrell and being like, yeah, well, clock's ticking, pal, so what are you going to do? You're going you're, you're gonna to keep beating me up in a basement, or are you going to go figure out which kid you're going to kill? It's, oh. it's it's two hours long. <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot happening. And it is one of the most heavy, oppressive two hours. Like, to the end, I will tell you, I watched the whole thing, mm-hmm. and I was glued to the screen, because I was trying to figure out what was going on. Yeah. And again, the ending is that nihilistic, you're fucked kind of ending. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say, like, yeah, the ending of this, okay, so, nihilistic in the regard that a thing does technically kind of get resolved, but not really. Nothing ever gets better. No, no, and... Which might be a really poignant, um, turn, like, view on revenge. So, like, Mm -hmm. my favorite thing about Hamlet is how, you know, I read Hamlet and Shakespeare is saying, hey, revenge does not work. No. Nope. It just fucks everyone over. What I always find fascinating is I frequently meet people that when they read it, they think, well, if he did it right, he would have gotten away with it. If it wasn't for those meddling kids, if it wasn't for that meddling Laertes, I would have gotten away with it too. <laughs> that, the, that rascally Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. Yeah, yeah. Which if is only, buck if wild only... to me, but yeah, people totally live in a world where they're like, oh yeah, it would totally, you know, you could do it. Yeah, if only correctly. the old man uh, running the amusement park hadn't actually been Polonius. Um, and honestly, yeah, I, I sort of love the idea that, um, because especially in Hamlet, it's like, sure, if you, you know, you've decided to take up the revenging life, it's going to be hard and shitty and spoiler, you're not actually going to feel better once you exact the vengeance you think you're owed. Yeah. And, and this movie is like another in a long line of nothing you do actually makes up for the past you just have to live in the present yeah and actually now that i think about it generally if there's a movie following the sort of old school um super racist romani curse plot those never end well you can't win yeah yeah you cannot beat a curse no if you want yeah once uh, a lady fortune fucking spins that wheel and, and you know your ticket gets pulled you you and either it's going to be you or it's going to be you and your family like in thinner or drag me to hell or like yeah the movie that this reminds me the most of and this is sheer coincidence and sourcement and inspiration is mm-hmm. bloodlands from the same year oh bloodlands which yeah, is yeah, yeah. again a our family is cursed so we're going to fight back on the curse but things go 
horribly wrong because it's a curse and you never get over a curse <laughs> yeah and i also I, I dig the magical realism aspect of killing of a sacred deer that it kind of doesn't feel the need to tell you how this kid is putting the curse on colin farrell's family i i think what was so frustrating for me with this movie is it was not magical realism enough like the uh -huh. magical aspect kind of came out of nowhere it's oh by the way this movie is just like the lobster where the beginning yeah. of the movie was like this movie is you know a departure for yorgos it's going to be realism all the way except you know kooky delivered dialogue and then nope with back on my bullshit it is weird as fuck <laughs> it's like listen i tried going straight for a while and, and making a respectable film but then i decided eh what if i lost my mind again i also like that uh so i i borrowed the dvd from uh my local library shout up shout out to the library and mm -hmm. um in the making of featurette yorgos lathamos says i like movies that don't have easy answers so he's basically saying i'm gonna be as obtuse and difficult as possible so fuck you well and honestly it's a thing i appreciate because it's like that thing uh beat takeshi was saying in an interview uh, a while ago that you know a lot of american cinema is kind of fascist in the regard that you know like for example like a steven spielberg movie which i love steven spielberg but the thing that B. Takeshi was pointing out that was fascist is that everything in this movie is trying to tell you how you should feel at every step of the way because you've got a soundtrack backing it up and the strings swell when you're supposed to cry and the camera directs your eye to everything you're supposed to be looking at. And B. Takeshi is not super into that. And it's one of the reasons, like, for example, Takashi Miike... I think if you're if you if you've grown up on American movies and then you know you watch a Takashi Miike film, it is fucking upsetting and weird, and you feel like none of it makes sense. And I think it's because he's not super interested in telling you how to feel about, for example, audition. Yeah, yeah. It it just trusts you enough to draw those inferences, and I really appreciate that about Yorgos Lanthimos. That like, I after I watched this, I felt like I had to take a nap. I yeah. was tired i i i the wind had been sucked out of my sails it is fucking heavy now let me ask you will you watch this movie a second time <sighs> Ooh, that's a hell of a question i would say i would watch uh killing of the sacred deer again but only if it were me showing it to somebody else yeah it's kind of like uh so i've only seen requiem for a dream once mm-hmm and that's all I need to see that film. Yeah, you're kind of good, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, I'm set. <laughs> and, and I was talking to Emily about this movie because she watched it with me. And I was like, I watched it. I'm not regretful that I watched it. It was mm -hmm. a, you know, an interesting time. But I don't know if I want to watch it again. Yeah, that's honestly, and, and that makes me wonder about um, whether rewatchability is the mark of a good movie or lack of rewatchability being the mark of a bad movie. Because, for example, Green Room is a fucking phenomenal movie, and I do not care to watch that again. Oh, see, I'd watch that over and over again because I'm a 
a monster ghoul, I guess. Oh, sure, sure. I mean, I, 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 in fairness, I have rewatched Audition uh, dozens of times. That one, I, I cannot understand why you would do that. <laughs> this is listen. It's we're both ghouls, but we're in different garbage cans, and <laughs> it's you know, there's no right or wrong answer. A regular Samuel Beckett play over here. <laughs> Um, but yeah, like killing of a, uh, also also in killing of a sacred deer, motherfucking Alicia Silverstone in one of her career best performances <laughs> since Batwoman. To be honest, like I, well, I, I mean, I'm I'm always gonna be fond of Alicia Silverstone because of Clueless, but she she plays uh, the creepy kid's mom, and you it's oh man, I and honestly I, not a weak performance in this movie. I also like how. Alicia Silverstone does not look glamorous in this movie. <laughs> oh, <laughs> to no. the point where you're like, is Alicia Silverstone okay? Do I need to check in on her? Right, like, they like... purposely were like, let's make Alicia Silverstone look really rough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's that thing of like, was it the, the makeup department was like, uh, just add a bit of concealer and some, like, a little bit of... Uh, foundation and then we'll say that that's the natural look or was this literally like okay alicia um we need you to take a nap uh in your in your trailer and right before we're about to start shooting roll the fuck out of bed don't do anything with your hair and just start doing the scene oh and also wardrobe is going to purposely give you clothes two sizes too small Yeah, and the yeah. most unflattering color. Yeah, you're, you're gonna imagine. have to sleep sleep in these shitty clothes in your trailer, and we'll call you out two seconds before the camera starts rolling. I could also imagine like some kind of fucked up method, like she tried to sleep, and then just your ghost was like breathing down her neck for for days <laughs> grieving and it's yeah that's actually i want i want yorgos lanthimos to whisper grieving to me in my sleep to oh to, boy to, yeah help my performance so, so is it high on the list or low on the list i oh, cannot tell you if it's the best movie i've ever seen or the worst movie oh, i've ever seen yeah it's definitely one of those because i feel like it is okay. a movie 100 <laughs> percent of all the movies i've seen this has been one um I okay 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 okay. Let's let's start with upsetting movies that we we have talked about in the course of this uh, discussion. Let's start with Green Room. Um, not as good as Green Room. I agree. I think Green Room okay. is probably better. On the opposite of the spectrum, High Tension. Ooh, this is definitely better than High Tension. Okay, so we're triangulating now. Uh huh. All right. Um, Processing. What about? Hounds of Love. Oh, it's better. I don't want to see that movie. It's better than that movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, Hounds of Love is another movie that I have seen exactly once, and I think I'm good. Hey, Ryan, remember in Walking Out where that cute little bear bites the fuck out of that kid's (laughs) hand? I think about that a lot. That's a really good movie. (laughs) Yeah, actually, Walking Out. Fuck yeah. Um, (laughs) It's it's nice to go through this list and be like, oh yeah, we uh... watched a lot of movies this year already. (laughs) And sort of looking back fondly, going, ah, yeah, walking out. Bill Pullman was in that. He was great. Um, so I, okay, okay, okay. Okay, I is think... it better than um, The Untamed? Oh, oh, you cut me to the quick. I don't, okay, okay. I know. It's not. 
it's it, not. I'll, because, I'll make it easy for you. It is not. <laughs> yeah, it's not because I know how I feel about the Untamed, which is enormous thumbs up and enthusiastic grinning. I. What a weird world it would be if all <laughs> horror movies were like the Untamed, but also I'm here for it. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if the world is ready for the untamed genre of horror movies, but I would be... You mean actual family drama, but also alien fuckbeast? Al- the alien fuckbeast that will that will mutilate the shit out of you if you fuck it. But also, it's kind of good at fucking, and everyone keeps coming back and they might die, but it's it's fine, it's fine. It's they horny for that boy. <laughs> He's a friendly boy. Um, okay. uh, I see you're here for the fuckbeast, right? This way. <laughs> Man, I think about that guy a lot who's just like, oh, yes, you're here to fuck the monster. Yeah, no, it's fine. Here, actually, on your way out, maybe pick up a cup koozie that says, I fucked the monster. And then you've got that now. You know that you fucked the monster. Um, So I think Killing of a Sacred Deer, not better than Candyman. Agreed. I think Candyman's better. Um, I think... Ooh, is Gremlins better or worse than Killing of a Sacred Deer? Okay, so Gremlins is too high, so I would actually say Hellraiser 2 is better than Killing of a Sacred Deer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Hellraiser 2, but I, I mean, I acknowledge its limitations, but I do think it's probably better, at least because I know how I feel about it. Okay, what about... Here's a movie that left me feeling some kind of way. Mm-hmm. 2017's It. Ah, yeah. Another... Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is that genre of horror movie... That's like eating an again eating a, a novelty potato chip flavor from Seven Eleven, like the pumpkin pie <laughs> potato chip, and you're like, I ate the whole bag and I still don't know how I feel about it. And that's also it from 2017. I would say, I think it from 2017 is better than Killing of a Sacred Deer, even though it's too long. Um, it's got a lot of problems. But I think oh, yeah. the performances are, are really good, mm-hmm. and there are some visual elements that are really great. Oh, yeah. And I think there was too much in Killing of a Sacred Deer that pulled me out of the film and said, like, why did he make everyone talk like that? Ah, that's a good point. It's, it's like um, back in the day when I made my actor friend William watch Twin Peaks with me, and he had never seen anything from David Lynch. And he, 10 minutes into the pilot for Twin Peaks, he had been slowly turning red and looking consternated, but would not speak. And then finally he explodes and yells, why are they talking like that? And it, yeah, like the way that they talk in Killing of a Sacred Deer is off-putting up until they stop doing it. And then it's really effective, but it, I feel like it almost left the first half of the movie kind of wanting in order to magnify the punch of the second half. Yeah, definitely. And and I can't tell you what should be trimmed down, but I wonder if mm-hmm. this was a tight 80, if it would be mm. even better. I think it would, at least because I, I think most movies now, and here's, I, I mean, I'm kind of a curmudgeon and I don't like long movies. I like, you know, hour and a half, hour 45, nail it, bim, bam, boom, we all go to dinner, we all go home. Um, but... I think this could have been trimmed down, but I don't think there was a single part of Killing of a Sacred Deer that I was like, oh, this is stupid. Cut that out. Yeah, yeah. It all kind of functioned, and it all Mm -hmm. was genuinely unsettling. 
It yeah, it it made me feel bad after although although not bad as in I've had a bad time watching this because I was riveted while watching it, but made me feel bad in my soul parts. Now I I think it is better than Mayhem from 2017. I would agree with you. Yeah. So I'd say right below it and right above uh, Mayhem. Yeah, because at least this is kind of about something, and Mayhem is fun, but it's. It's like a it's like a really Mayhem is like a really good straight to VOD movie where this is like a fucking event. This is a movie that I would want to show people to see their reaction. Right to to say like what did you think of that? Yeah. So number one hundred and five is Killing of a Sacred Deer. Yeah, and uh, so holy shit, that's that's pretty good for Killing of a Sacred Deer. I feel like we ch- I feel like we've chosen the right spot for it. Yeah. So, uh, now it's time to talk about some listener requests. Yeah. So, um, LB on Twitter, uh, at, at, at Hunk Tears, um, requested uh, a movie that is, I, I believe, currently still on Netflix, uh, hashtag horror. And not the word hashtag word horror, literal pound symbol horror. I have not seen this movie all the way through, so oh. I cannot rank it. Oh, boy. No, you basically can. Where did, Okay. You've no, seen no. Any of it? The rules of the principles of the podcast is mm-hmm. start to finish, full runtime. Have to have seen the entire movie. Well, there we go. I uh, I have seen hashtag horror, and actually, um, you watched beginning credits to end credits. I sure did. Whole movie. I did. It was. Uh, but, it was. It but was, why though? It, right, but like why though? Because I, was, I turned it off because I was like, <laughs> in this one wild and precious life of mine, I'm not gonna do this. You're not. You're not about that hashtag horror life. Well, okay, I'll tell you why. It was because I could not stop laughing because this movie is this perfect intersection of like after school special about the dame the dangers of cyberbullying, but also takes itself excruciatingly seriously like isn't you ev- the title credits over dubstep and like candy crush <laughs> yeah and like candy crush and all right so this movie it has a fucking aesthetic um the aesthetic for hashtag horror is it's like a rude impersonation of millennial stuff um and also um side note here uh, so i watched this with christina we still frequently um We'll look at each other and just go, Mom would never screen my calls because of this movie. <laughs> um, and also, Timothy Hutton is there. I hope he got that fucking paycheck by a houseboat. I love you on leverage. Um, but so this movie is basically, oh, no, there's a bunch of friends at a sleepover at a weirdly postmodern house. But also, they're all posting on social media. And one of the things that drives me crazy that Christina showed her students at her school where she works. And they... Uh, she she drew a thing on the on the board that said hashtag selfie and then put a hashtag after selfie so that it is bordered by hashtags and just circled it and was like what is that what is that because this movie does that where it's like hashtag selfie hashtag hashtag friends hashtag and it, it's um it's basic it's like you can tell that the person who made this film the writer she was like flipping a chair around backwards and going all right kids. We need to rap about cyberbullying. And <laughs> she made a horror movie for it. It is so fucking bad. But also, it's I, I have such a, a fondness for bad movies that take themselves very seriously. Like The Bye-Bye Man? Exactly like The Bye-Bye Man, where you can tell that whoever wrote this thing was like, yeah, 
Yeah, I'm I'm breaking some new ground here. I'm really fucking saying something. Um, now, Timothy Hutton is a delight in this, as he is in all things, and I want him to play Tom Waits in a biopic someday. Um, but Hashtag Horror, I think it's... Uh, this is a movie that I also want to make people watch for an extraordinarily different reason than I want to make them watch Killing of a Sacred Deer. So, if, if you're having your April Fool's movie night, do you sneak in hashtag horror or the bye bye man? Ooh, I'm going with the bye bye man over hashtag horror. At least because uh, I think hashtag horror. Now, okay, it is laugh out loud funny at several points, but not enough to justify its like hour and a half runtime. Yeah. So, what is more cruel and unusual, Bud the Judd or hashtag horror? Oh, god damn. Uh, I think. Hashtag horror, I can't even believe I'm going to say this, it's worse than Chud 2, Bud the Chud. <laughs> I cannot even believe now that. We're and talking. also, and I hate to say this, it is not better than Leatherface from 2017, and it is not better than Faces of Death. Oofa doofa. So uh-huh. now we're down to the actual after-school specials, Pagan Invasion, and the Unexplained <laughs> Witches, Werewolves, and Vampires. <laughs> um, all right, actually... I have the perfect place for this. It is not as good as Pagan Invasion Halloween Trick or Treat because, A, that bitchin' soundtrack and those sweet computer graphics. Yeah, those graphics are great. Oh, they fucking own, but I do think it's better than The Unexplained Witches, Werewolves, and Vampires. Oh, you're splitting up the, the uh, Yeah, breaking up, breaking up the band. I got it. Listen, we, got it. we, we run uh, a varied and diverse podcast of horror movies, and I, I feel like... Uh, if hashtag horror can't stand with the unexplained witches, werewolves, and vampires, then what are we doing? So why is it better than a show that explains witches, werewolves, and lest you forget, a girl who drives a hearse? <laughs> also hosted by Peter Graves, who's hanging out in a fucking cemetery. <laughs> Yo, this... how is this better than? <laughs> how is this not better than hashtag horror? Well, I'll, I'll tell. I'll tell you why. It's because I remember anything about hashtag horror and the unexplained witches, werewolves, and vampires. I look at and I'm just like, ah, Peter Graves was in that, and that's pretty much all I got. Yeah, I'm struggling to remember it too. No. So number two eleven is hashtag horror. Yeah, thank you, Hunk Tears. Um, um, so next is um, WrestleManiac from oh, Calypso I, I, Sage. I haven't seen WrestleManiac. Have you seen it? I have not either. So we're gonna have to dis. dis- Dis, um, disqualify that. Yeah, for right now. So, but we, shoot I, us I, another one, Clipso Sage. However, I do know that it is, I think, still on Netflix. I tried watching WrestleManiac, and there was an immediate sexual assault scene right out of the gate. So I was like, mm, watching something else, so I never gave it a proper chance. Yeah, sorry about that one, folks. No. Um, but um, Ryan Bradford, now this one actually I'm excited to talk about. Um, Ryan Bradford requested... The Nightmare on Elm Street reboot from 2010, and also the Friday the 13th reboot from 2009. Um, have you seen either of those? I have not. Okay. Um, but I assume you have. <laughs> I certainly have. Uh, let's talk about one that, uh, that you've seen. Have you seen uh, House of Wax from 2005? I have not. Have you seen The Omen? 
Oh, The Omen is one of my favorite movies. Oh, fuck yeah. Let's talk about The Omen. So, The Omen is requested from our friends at the Everything is Awesome podcast. It's hey, Gregory Peck. It's, um, your mother was a, his mother was a jackal. It's like a perfect devil movie. It's, uh, it's all for you, Damien. This is all for you. Oh, it's so good. Is it a better devil movie than The Exorcist? Oh, actually, man, this is this is about to be real spicy. I think The Omen is better than The Exorcist. Oh, I 100% believe The Omen is better than The Exorcist. Yeah, because it's, I don't know, like Gregory Peck. Now, okay, obviously, um, Ellen Burstyn is great in The Exorcist, and so is Linda Blair. Like, there's this isn't a, a, a critique of that, but you kind of can't compete with beleaguered everyman Gregory Peck coming to terms with the fact that his son is the Antichrist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very good. And the ending is such a gut punch. Yes. Like, where he's there at the church and he's about to kill Damien and he gets shot and and, and Damien lives. And also that decapitation scene is like one of the best. Oh, the decapitation scene featuring Patrick Troughton, the second doctor from Doctor Who, playing a priest. Yeah. Uh Yeah, because there's like a sheet of glass that flies out and and cuts his head off, and then the head rolls on it as it's sliding past. It's boy, I just love the omen. It's yeah, it's so good. It's good, but it's not Night of the Living Dead. Oh, it's definitely not. And also, I think Psycho is better than the Omen. Uh, even if you look at both of the endings of those films. Well, yeah, I mean the ending. I almost, I, I, I almost, I'm almost loath to hold Psycho's um, coda, the five-minute-long monologue. I'm almost loath to hold that against it because of how much Alfred Hitchcock did not want that and how the That's studio fair. demanded he put it in. But also, authorial intent doesn't really factor in death of the author. I think we're going with here. All we really have to go on is the finished product. And now, okay, uh, 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 make make the case for why the Omen is better than Psycho. The omen is better than Psycho because a jackal gives birth to the Antichrist and they swap the bodies. (laughs) That's a good point. That's an excellent point. All right. Honestly, it's it's not better than Psycho. It's it's number nine. Um, There we go. But number nine is really good. I mean, it cracked the top ten. That is fucking outstanding. Yeah, that's good. Yep. So... Let's talk about our sponsors this week, Ryan. So, uh, this week, we are sponsored by, among other things, Zubas. That's right. Zubas pants. Motherfucking Zubas. Uh, they are, uh, you may remember them from everything in the 1980s ever, uh, where they were, you know, you would see a pro wrestler, a photo of him back in the day, and he would have a fa- he would have two things, right? He would have a fanny pack, and he would have Zubas. And uh, occasionally a Ribera steakhouse jacket. But yeah, definitely. So you too can have uh, tiger striped pants in Dayglow colors. Uh, and you can have 15% off thanks to us um, and our friendly sponsors. So if you go to Zubas.com, Z-U-B-A-Z, and you enter code rank. Vial 15, you get 15% off regular mer- regularly priced merchandise. Yeah, all one and word, rank Let vial. me tell you, these are super cozy pants. Yeah, and not only that, they, they don't only make fucking enormous neon crazy pants that uh, Peg Bundy would wear while going to like an erotic sleepover somewhere. Um, they make uh, t-shirts with the road warriors on them. They've got jackets with crazy prints. Uh, Zuba- Zubas is where you go if you are about to go partying with 
several cocaine Muppets and they're all dressed to the nines and you need something to wear with them so that you don't look out of place, pick up some other fucking Zubas, strap on those bad boys. And here's the thing, if you order some Zubas and you send us a photo, we will do we will not send you anything, but we will be really excited that you're wearing Zubas and, and we'll and we'll tweet about it. Tweet about we will Zubas. we will retweet your photo. Yes. We 100% will say, oh, or yo, yo or hey, and retweet your photo. <laughs> I think that's like most of my dialogue is just, yo, whenever, whenever anything happens. Um, yeah. But so, yeah, that's uh, about all we've got for our sponsors. Quincy, where can our listeners find us on the Internet? Our listeners can find us on the Internet talking about Zubaz on Instagram uh, at Rank and Vile. Yeah. Also, you can uh, if you want to um, send us one of your listener requests, which we we love getting. And look, look, someone requested a thing and it cracked cracked the top 10 tonight. Motherfucking Omen, do it. You're gonna send it to rankandvilecast at gmail.com or you're gonna head over to our Tumblr at rankandvile.tumblr.com. Put that request in the ask box and there is a substantial chance that we will talk about and rank your movie and say your name with our dumb voices on our podcast in between screaming about Zubas. Yes. Uh, so you can also reach us at Rank and Vilecast on Twitter, where we are constantly prattling on. Um, where we are constantly starting fights, basically, <laughs> with people. Where we are, where you can find us being contentious and having bizarre, spicy takes. Yeah, Rank and Vilecast on Twitter. That's I would say that's Quincy. That's mostly where we hang out these days. Mostly. Um, so the email rankandvilecast at gmail is also important. If you are a filmmaker and you're promoting your film, we want to see it. If oh, yeah. you are, a, if you want to be a guest on the show, if you're promoting a project, if you want to advertise, um, or if you just want to say hey, uh, shoot us an email. Um, uh, at rankandvilecast at gmail.com also uh, however you're listening to this if you could stop and rank us yourselves if you could become uh, the ranked who ranks the rankers who ranks the rankers you know and that will help us spread the word this we do not advertise the show it is just word of mouth that's got us as popular as we are. So if you can just tell a friend, rank us on iTunes, um, thumb us up on whatever podcasting app you're using, that actually does help us out. Give us your thumbs. Give us your friends' thumbs. I, I, honestly, I love how much um, this podcast's uh, listener uh, uh, group is through word of mouth. Like Most of the people I talk to regularly who listen to the podcast found out about it from a friend. Yeah, and and, and also um, a lot of I've actually made friends with our listenership through this podcast. You know, through um, Ultraman and Common Rider and horror movies. You know, I've made friends with a bunch of people on Twitter, and it's kind of a fun thing. You've got friends in Google Spaces. <laughs> uh, all right, that's all I got. Have a good week, folks. Bye. <laughs>